Welcome to another episode of Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. In the West, we have this idea or impression of the Buddha as being this regular human being who meditated and was able to achieve enlightenment, become the Buddha. And in a nutshell, that's what we believe or our idea of the Buddha because it feels comfortable. And that's really the blunt fact of it. We don't want to hear anything else that might exist inside Buddhism about the Buddha because we don't have empirical evidence or it doesn't match to what we believe is scientific or because it sounds too much like a religion that we're leaving and we're thinking of Buddhism as almost like this atheist type religion. And that's not really true as you'll learn inside this episode. So the Buddha had supernatural and supernormal abilities. And this is throughout Buddhism. Yes, Theravada and Mahayana. And this is important because this plays into a lot of the different teachings and sutras of the Buddha that sometimes get stripped away. And so this idea we have of the Buddha as this regular everyday human being is not something that's shared by the majority of Buddhists. It's really sort of this westernized version of it because we wanted to quote-unquote clean up Buddhism. That's where you kind of see this secular Buddhism coming in. And it also affects our idea of what the Buddha is and his abilities. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about these supernatural or supernormal powers of the Buddha. And before we begin, I think it's kind of important to understand where we're at. The Buddha taught that we all have this innate capability to become enlightened, right? But we don't see it. So the Buddha is this teacher, of course, who's providing this liberating path where we discover the teachings and providing it to us to help us also achieve that. Now, the problem is we are so clouded and deluded and ignorant to the teachings by ourselves that we don't even know they exist. We know we we live in this essentially illusionary world. We don't really truly understand what's happening to us. It seems normal to us, but it's actually not the way we should live. And when we start hearing all these Buddhist concepts and teachings, everything from karma, rebirth, dependent origination, all these different things, it can be very challenging for us to understand. And so that's where you start seeing things stripped away in the Western context because, well, there's no empirical evidence for that, so I'm not going to believe it. Or that's too much faith-based, I'm not going to believe that. And so we kind of get this unusual belief in Buddhism in the West that's not practiced by others. And the reason I bring that up is when we start practicing Buddhism, you're not going to understand all these deep concepts fundamentally. Because if you did, well, guess what? You'd be enlightened, right? So we have to start where we're at and progress from there. And the Buddha and Buddhism in general provides that past those teachings for us. And when we are able to relax, essentially, and go, you know what? It's okay that I don't know everything. And we see, I have faith in my teacher, the Buddha, his teachings, and his monastic community, this Buddhism, if you will, if you want to look at it that way, it's a triple gem. That is where we put our faith, that we don't get it all. So when it comes to the Buddha himself, we must also understand that we don't know everything. So what we might just dismiss as, oh, that's just fictionalized, or someone came up with that. We don't know that. 
we don't know that the abilities of the Buddha is something possible. So let's dive right into that and right at that particular point. The Buddha is saying that all of us can do what he can do as far as these supernatural or supernormal powers and is through this deep meditative ability. So it's not something that you are necessarily maybe born with, for example. And that's probably not a great example, but the ability to achieve this is within our capabilities. So when we look at supernatural and supernormal, we can look at supernatural as sort of saying, you know what, science hasn't proven that exists yet as something right. And then we have supernormal, where it's saying this is a capability of beings, such as human beings, but it's maybe not widespread or the ability is not in everybody until maybe they develop it, right? So the abilities of the Buddha when it comes to the supernatural, supernormal capabilities is quite remarkable. For instance, he can have basically six or more different abilities. This ranges from everything from higher knowledges, able to understand things that others can't understand. Psychic abilities in clear audience, for example, being able to hear things from any distance, the ability to understand what people are thinking. There is the ability to do telepathy, where you're able to impart knowledge without maybe speaking or touching or anything with another person. And yes, we can see that inside Theravada and Mahayana as well. We have recollection of his past lives, but also the ability to see the past lives of others. And that is very important. We see that with the Buddha's past life tales, for example, but that can help a lot with how the Buddha interacted with others. We also have the ability for the extinction of mental intoxicants, you know, evil and all these other different things, where this is something that helps the Buddha, if you will, on his mission. And this isn't limited to the Buddha either. So these abilities are attained through meditative development. And it's not something that's just developed just so you can have these. Well, hey, I'm a supernatural being or supernormal being and have these powers. The Buddha didn't actually like this. And so he didn't like it in so far as he felt it was something needed to convert others, right, inside Buddhism. But it was used by the Buddha many times, but not as the primary way that he would help others understand the Dharma. So he might have used it in different contexts and situations, but he didn't want to lean on that. That's why you see him with his verbal, right, or teaching, or even sometimes, you know, we talked about that telepathy, right? So ability to do different things that would help others. So it depends upon the situation, the person, and everything else. But the ultimate goal was to help others understand the Dharma and achieve enlightenment, achieve liberation. So it wasn't anything else. It was designed for that. And it was not just limited to the Buddha. Anybody could develop this as well. And that falls into what we see inside Buddhism, where these abilities are something that even the monastics can achieve as well and did. You know, so you even have like one of the Buddha's monastics, monks, 
was able to see his mother in the hungry ghost realm, for example. He had a divine eye. So there's these different abilities that can be achieved by any of us, but they're not something to be achieved for, again, these maybe evil purposes. They're meant for the Dharma and they're meant for helping others. And this is why the Buddha didn't want to rely on them. He wanted to rely on the teachings to be able to help and help others achieve that enlightenment as well. And this doesn't mean that this doesn't have a role and a place because it sure did. And you're going to some of your favorite sutras maybe even had these supernatural, supernormal um, things inside of, for example, the fire sermon had that as well, but you may not always hear about it. So let's talk about some of the things that the Buddha did that has supernatural, supernormal powers, but just realize that just because we don't understand how this is achieved, or is that even possible, doesn't mean that they don't exist. And so for me, for example, of course, I didn't see most any of these, right? And, you know, is there a way I can prove it? Probably not, right? There's no way I know right now to prove the, even these abilities. But that doesn't mean that they don't exist. And we have it in the Buddhist religion with the scriptures, right? So it's saying this is something that did happen with the Buddha. And the point of them is not to go, you're practicing Buddhism so you can achieve these special abilities. But they are something that comes along with that. And with that, basically that power comes responsibility. And they use it in a responsible manner. And that's where the Buddha set the standard for that. Now, a lot of these abilities sound very much like other religions, right? So the Buddha was able to walk on water. Yes, he could walk through walls and teleport himself, if you will, over to the other side of a river, to the other shore. He was able to make copies of himself. So he was teaching in a heavenly realm. He was able to have a copy of himself essentially down here, continuing the teachings. Wow, how do you do that, right? He was able to become invisible. He was able to make others become invisible. There was a monastic that he kept invisible from his father so he could teach his father the teaching became like the first lay follower. And that allowed his monastic, who had achieved a, a good level, was able to become an arhat after that. So there's these abilities. And maybe like a very famous one is was Angulimala. It was this mass murderer, you know, and eventually was trying to get the Buddha. And as he's racing after Buddha, and he's killed so many people as Angulimala. And he was feared by everybody. And so the Buddha knows he's behind him, right? And so Angulimala is racing after him. But the problem was the Buddha walking very slowly, just very casually, not affected. But Angulimala running full speed can't catch up to him. That was one of the Buddha's supernormal, supernatural abilities. He was able actually to change that encounter where Angulimala couldn't catch up to him. And if you already know this story, you know, basically the Buddha said to Angulimala, because basically Angulimala was telling him to stop, telling the Buddha to stop. And the Buddha said, I've already stopped. You're the one who hasn't stopped. And so really that supernatural, supernormal encounter, that the way it worked there was tied into that teaching as well. Because, yeah, he couldn't catch up to the one who had stopped. And that had a nice little play on words there. And it was that teaching. I, I think it's really beautiful how that was because Glimala is trying to chase after the one who had stopped. 
even though he's racing, he can't catch up to him. And of course, we're, ta- we're looking at that physical, natural world. But then we're seeing it in the Buddhist context that he is just racing through samsara, if you will. He's creating all this unwholesome karma. The Buddha has stopped. And that is where true freedom is. He stopped creating the three fires of greed, anger, and ignorance. Angulimala has not. And Angulimala became a monastic under the Buddha. And this was very shocking to many people. But Angulimala became one of like the most influential monastics from Buddhist time in Buddhism. It's just remarkable the transformation that he had because the Buddha was able to help him free himself from creating more unwholesome karma. And uh, he's, he's very well respected as a monastic inside Buddhism. And so you see that change. Now, was the unwholesome karma that Angulimala created ever going to not catch up with him? No, and actually he was killed by villagers for his past transgressions. That karma caught up to him very quickly. But he did pass away, if you will, for the natural stance of five aggregates, because he was able to stop himself. The karma still going to catch up to him, but he was able to stop. And that was really important. Now, that whole encounter, very much, as you heard there, is supernatural in ability. Just like almost you, you saw the Buddha up there, right, just slowly walking, you're running. Why can't it catch up with him? Like, is, is the world stretching? Is time being manipulated? Is, you know, the dynamics? We can't prove that, right? There's no empirical evidence for that. There's no way scientifically you can prove that because we don't have those abilities, those powers, right? And that's where we can't even test somebody who has it to see how that works. And this is something that you take on faith or don't take on faith. As Buddhists, well, yeah, we take that on faith. You know, I can't prove that happened, but it was something that was very important to that teaching, very important to that encounter. And if Angulimala was able to reach the Buddha, which he was trying to do to kill him, he would have killed him, right? So how would that have encountered gone otherwise if Angulimala, very confident mass murderer, if you will, he was not afraid of anything, not able to catch the Buddha. So not to belabor that point, but that would have gone a totally different way. He did not care that was a monk. You know, the Buddha, to him it was just a monk. So he didn't really care about that. He was going to kill him, but couldn't, right? And then we have, as I mentioned, these all these different abilities and the ability of the Buddha to see his past lives and the past lives of others. And we're not saying insofar as like a soul or self or ego or something like that, you know, just transmigrating. We're talking about rebirth in a Buddhist context, so not reincarnation. But to see all these prior incarnations was so important because they were teaching lessons. They were ability to understand morality and conduct and also where maybe your actions, you know, your karma were not right, unwholesome. In other words, that's what's keeping you inside the cycle of birth and death, samsara. And he needed to show this, especially, you know, with, with certain others. Here is maybe the past lives where you're at right now. But you could also see where those who are increasing in practice and ability to where they're at now. So a lot with Bodhisattva path, for example, the Mahayana path, a lot with Arhatship, you know, we see inside Theravada. But understanding these things about the past lives 
are very important. So how could the Buddha understand the past lives of others? How could he understand the past lives of himself, right? Is it just made up or what, right? And that is a great question because, well, if nothing and we teach in Buddhism, you know, continues on except for our karma, how is he able to understand that? Well, there's these imprints on this consciousness that continues on. It's not consciousness like a soul or a self, but this continues on. And this is where you also have in Buddhism. For example, you know, inside Mahayana, you're going to have like, you know, bodhisattva vows. You know, you want to become a Buddha in the future, so you're on the bodhisattva path. Those vows, those imprints, you know, continue on. And it may not be like this next life, you know, that takes shape, is going to understand about that vow, but that vow is there, right? Just like the karma that hasn't come to fruition or has, you know, is there or created that. So it's not like the Buddha was not able to see past lives. He had this supernatural, supernormal ability. I couldn't tell you which one it is or both, but he was able to see that. Is that the ability to understand how that karma was generated. There are imprints on that karma, almost like seeds, you know, almost like writing on the seeds. I don't know personally. And you don't really see the Buddha wanting to go into depth, in detail about these supernatural, supernormal abilities because that's secondary. Remember, he didn't want to use that as a way for people to become Buddhists because then what are you becoming a Buddhist for? Well, you're doing it just because, wow, look at all these abilities he has. I'm going to follow that too because I'm so impressed. He didn't want to make himself like some sort of god or something like that. So these abilities are essentially secondary to his, centri- to his central teaching, if you will. So did he have to use it sometimes? Yes. you know. But was that something that he's like, well, let me teach you how I am able to understand past lives so you can have this empirical evidence 2,600 years later, unimportant. His goal was teaching liberation, and that's nirvana, right? To become enlightened, realize nirvana. And that was his goal, is not to go into all these details about things. And you see that about other things inside of Buddhist life. You know, he was questioned, you know, why he was dying, you know, part nirvana event, you know, about these things. He's not answering, you know, these questions that are, not important to the path, right? He wanted to answer questions. That, you know, this is his final moments in physical form on this earth. What are your questions? You know, like, how can I help you? You know, that you're confused about about my teachings. Let me know now. Not about essentially superficial things. I'm not saying about the supernatural, supernormal powers he had, but just in general. It's like ask me the right questions, right? You know, don't waste his time. And that's where. It's so important he's not using his ability to understand past lives or the ability to, you know, go to the other shore, you know, just like teleport himself or the ability to transmit teachings. He's not doing all this, you know, just to do it. He's doing it as essentially the skillful means, his ability to help others as he can. So a Buddha and even Arhats, right, or even Bodhisattvas, they're going to have a mixture of these abilities. So a Buddha is going to have all these abilities. You know, that's their level. You know, Arhats, Bodhi, Bodhisattvas, they are going to maybe have a mixture of it. They're not 
fully enlightened. So they're going to have those abilities in just varying degrees, and that's okay. You know, again, it's not necessary to have all these abilities, but a Buddha will, because a Buddha has to use essentially all the tools in their tool set to help other human beings, other beings, right? Just imagine like a belt with a bunch of different tools. That's what a Buddha has with these abilities. This, this tool set, they're not going to use all these tools all the time, but when they have to, they can. Now, at Sutra, you might have heard about it. I kind of mentioned earlier on, it's a fire sermon. A lot of Westerners, you know, love that that sermon because, you know, this is the famous one where the Buddha said, you know, monks, always burning around you, you know, the you know, what, what you see, you know, what you hear and all this stuff. And it's really talking a lot about, you know, one of those central teachings in Buddhism about, well, basically mindfulness, be mindful of what you are taking in to your mind, right? So as you taste things, hear things, you know, uh, see things, you know, we are giving rise to ideas and conceptions, often wrong, about what those are and what they mean to us and everything else. And that's where you hear about this illusionary world in Buddhism. Not saying things don't exist. They're saying our idea of what those things are and how we interact with them, that's the illusionary part. You know, we don't really understand things at a very fundamental level. So the mindfulness component of that sutra, you know, I, I love this sutra too, is where it's like, be aware, you know, everything's on fire. You don't want to be burned. You don't want to take in these things. And of course, I relate this to the three fires of greed, anger, and ignorance. I don't want to take in those things, right? Or the three poisons, whichever one you want to call it. You don't want to take in things that are going to be detrimental to you in the Buddhist path. So that's a, a great teaching and be mindful and practice the Buddhist teachings. But the larger context of that sutra, he went to this community of fire worshippers. So there's many different types of essentially religions inside you know, the region of ancient India. And they're all exploring different things. And there was this one group that was you know, basically worshipping fire. And so he came across this village, you know, this community. And you know, for the night, you know, he was going to stay there. And he wanted to stay basically in this domain areas mean you know covered place and had monastic there you know they're not buddhists you know other monastics right so they're saying no you, you shouldn't go in there there's a giant snake and inside buddhism yes inside theravada and mahayana both there's these large you know snake you know reptile type beings and essentially that was one inside there large huge scary dangerous right so they're saying don't go in there you're going to basically die if you go inside. You're going to be hurt by this being. And the Buddha's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. And so he basically convinced him that he's going to do that. So he goes inside there and with his supernatural, supernormal abilities was able to transform this gigantic, you know, snake reptile type being into this small, manageable being, you know, just shrunk him down into something to fit inside his alms bowl. And that was truly remarkable. But even before that happened, you know, the, this being, this entity, was trying to do fire and smoke and everything, you know. And the Buddha was able to produce smoke of his own. And when this being tried to engulf everything in fire, the Buddha was on, put himself on fire. So the Buddha was able to counteract everything from this being, this snake thing. And that was so important because 
the monastics in this community were terrified of this thing that came there, right? You know, they worship fire, but hey, this thing's now where they should be, you know, worshiping the fire. Now you got this, you know, big, huge snake thing. And it is very prevalent throughout Buddhism. And so the ability of the Buddha to basically tame that, to not be harmed by it at all, was remarkable to these monastics and also alleviated a pressure point that they had, right? You know, this this danger that now they could go back if they wanted to, to worship the fire in that main area. But it was a point where the Buddha did that, not to really deal with this snake, this gigantic snake being, or to prove to the monastic that he had supernatural, super normal powers. It was because they could just basically go back to their religion, right? You know, he would just be helping them. And to him, if that's what they wanted to do, that was fine. What he did, that allowed him the ability to teach. And that's where you see that part of fire sermon is so widely uh, known. We're talking about, you know, everything's on fire, monks, right? And so that is where he tied in what they're worshiping along with his teachings. Very skillful. But he was able to use supernatural, supernormal powers to stop this being that took over their basically religious spots at worship fire. They could have gone, thank you, Buddha, and they would have just like went in there and just resumed their abilities, but it opened that door. And they became, just thousands of monastics there, became followers of the Buddha and thus Buddhism after that, that teaching and that encounter. So the Buddha's goal here was not again, to just prove that he has supernatural, supernormal powers. In fact, you know, he didn't have to show that or do that at all. You know, he could have still just, you know, produced his teaching and maybe that would work, maybe it wouldn't work. But as a Buddha, he knew that this was something that would open the door. You know, otherwise it may not have worked for all the monastics there. You have to show that, hey, pay attention. I'm going to talk to you about something coming from a place of authority. You know, I'm a Buddha. And, you know, I'm just not rambling off, you know, just some teaching that you can't, as we like to say here in the West, empirically prove. He has to kind of show that, yes, you know, I'm just not some ordinary human being. This is why it's so important. And, you know, finally, you see that he interacted with a myriad of different things. So not even that, you know, snake beings, but also even an elephant that was, you know, basically trying to kill the Buddha. So it was basically whipped into a frenzy and we have Mara inside Buddhism, if you heard my prior episode on that, basically sent this elephant stampeding down to kill the Buddha. But the Buddha, through, again, his supernatural and supernormal powers, was able to calm the elephant. And so in India, you know, you're going to have like elephants, especially wild elephants, are just, they, they kill people, right? You know, so we all think of elephants as being very you know, gentle and not doing anything, not necessarily the case. So basically this elephant's racing down about to kill the Buddha. He was able to stop that elephant and calm that elephant. That is remarkable. And sometimes we think in the West, oh, it's just his presence, right? No, it wasn't his presence. You know, it was his abilities that was able to interact with that elephant. That is what did it. Because for the elephant, animals in the animal realm of rebirth. And so they're very much on instinct. And of course, this one was whipped into a frenzy by Mara, but it was the ability of the Buddha to do that because just the presence, that's not going to work, right? 
even just being confident that's not going to work. It required more. So the Buddha had all these abilities. And of course, you know, I didn't even, this is inside Mahayana as well, but a Mahayana definitely take the, essentially these abilities of the Buddha and Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, because it's a little more expansive inside Mahayana, to a greater degree, because you're going to see where these abilities are used in a lot of skillful means ways. And again, even if we look at, you know, the time of the Buddha, or, you know, the Buddha in the Mahayana Sutras, or even other Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, they're not doing it to boast. They're not doing it to be a primary means of essentially conversion to Buddhism. They're doing it to help other sentient beings. Again, it's like getting this tool belt. You know, you're, you're able to realize, whoa, I got a bunch of different tools here that can help other sentient beings understand the Dharma and to become enlightened, realize nirvana. And for example, inside Theravada, become an Arhat or become in Mahayana, eventually become a Buddha, you know, through a Bodhisattva path. You got these tool sets that you're able to use. And that is the primary thing when we look at the Buddha and his abilities. And I didn't even touch on the other ones. And I, I sometimes do in my, you know, writings and also, um, you know, podcasts. But I mean, you know, there's the bathing of the baby Buddha ceremony you see in a lot of Buddhist temples, right? And you see this little baby Buddha, you know, and a little child, and he has his finger pointing up to, to, you know, to the sky. And that is, if you will, one of the first, you know, abilities or miracles of the Buddha. So after he was born, he was able to walk and, you know, pet, you know, the lotus petals, you know, where he's walking and, and he's able to talk and we're going, well, wait a minute here. How can a baby do all of that? You know, that's incredible. I mean, there's no way we can understand how that's even feasible, right? Because we've all seen babies being born, right? But it goes back to, again, Buddha, you know, as born, Siddhartha Gautama, was not a normal human being. He was extraordinary. And, of course, there's these different um, different ways we can identify Buddha, all these different descriptive marks and stuff like that. I'm not even talking about that at this point. But the ability to walk, ability to talk and all these different things. Wow, what's going on, right? Well, before he became Siddhartha Gautama, the prior existence was a bodhisattva in the heavenly realm. And so bodhisattvas actually do go up to a particular heaven and heavenly realm. And it's not a heaven like in Christianity or anything else like that, where they are ready to come at a particular point to the human realm to become a Buddha. And so that's where essentially he was. And he's like, you know, the time is right. I'm going to become a Buddha for my next lifetime, right? And that's where you have kind of like that first story inside Buddhism, where just this white elephant, this big, long, you know, tusk, enters the side of his mother as she was sleeping. And she became pregnant, right? So that's the this white elephant is symbolic of bodhisattvas. And so that is a bodhisattva, essentially, going into her and continuing on, right? So the new rebirth is no longer that bodhisattva in that form. Now it's Siddhartha, right? But he was going to be a Buddha in that lifetime. This He was an extraordinary being. And you have that miracle, if you will, where he's talking and, and 
walking and everything, right? And you're like, wow, right? And then you have, you know, even later on where he's, you know, a child. So obviously far away from when he's going to become a Buddha, right? Or even understanding what he is, right? He's able, you know, just sitting under this tree, you know, very hot, you know, in summer, for example, in India, meditating under there as a, as a child. And as we all know, the earth turns, right? And we see the sun, you know, go over the sky, you know, as we turn. And so the interesting thing was the tree, the shade where he was sitting never moved. Impossible. Impossible, you're going to say. Scientifically, impossible, right? Doesn't mean that it is impossible. It's only impossible in how we understand our natural world. And that's a big thing. So yeah, we don't know. And he maybe even he didn't know about those powers at that time that he had maybe coming from a prior existence of the Bodhisattva, right? I don't know. And so, but it, it goes to show in all these stories, he was more than a human being. Now, you may be going, well, what about me? And so as we end this episode, like, what about me? So if we all have this innate capability to become enlightened, right, and as taught throughout Buddhism, what does that mean for our supernatural abilities? Well, yes, you you know through you know the meditative um, uh, concentration abilities and, and practice, right? You know, as we look at Buddhism in a whole and Buddhist practice as a whole, yes, you know that these are capable. Now, do you get all of these? Well, they're all possible, you know, because they're really part of the natural world. We just can't see the suit the, this natural world, right? We have a very limited understanding of it. So when we talk about like supernormal and supernatural, it's the natural world that we don't understand yet. We can't prove anything with it. And, you know, we've had that even in our own life, you know, where we have our scientific understanding of things. If you would have gone back even 100 years ago, oh, that's supernatural and that's impossible. You know, we can't prove that right now, where now we can. You know, we can go, you know, just like electron microscopes and everything. We can prove things, you know that were not even conceivable. And we were able to do things, maybe, you know, not from yourself, but maybe, for example, through medicine, that would be like, how is that even possible, right? Because the understanding, the concept of how, even like how germs work, wasn't fully comprehended or understood. For example, to create medicine or other treatments. So it just goes to show you that we don't really understand everything. And that's okay. You know, Buddhism and the Buddha, as we're talking about here, this is something that exists inside Buddhism. It's not something to be, you know, hesitant about embracing or understanding. It's okay that, that we don't understand how things are possible, but that it is part of the religion. And they should be looked at in two ways. One is that they are showing that these capabilities are possible and their intent is to help others achieve enlightenment as well in so far as the Buddhist path. So, you know, being liberated from the cycle of birth and death, samsara is our primary goal inside Buddhism. But also that the Buddha was more than just a regular human being. And we don't want to diminish what and who the Buddha was. Now, was he a human being? Yes, of course. You know, he could not escape the five aggregates no longer existing in this world. I mean, he lived a long life, but he couldn't live forever. You know, that's not, he's a human being just like us, but he was the final 
final birth of a very, very long line, very long bodhisattva path to become a Buddha. So as all those vows, all those karmic you know, impressions and actions are continued on and then the final life as a bodhisattva, a heavenly realm and that miraculous you know, conception and birth and all everything leading up to the point where he became the Buddha is something that's not natural in how we understand it. So there was more to him than just being a regular human being. No, you know, he was a bodhisattva who was going to become a Buddha, and this that lifetime was where he was going to do that. So there was something extremely special about that. There was an action there. there you know, there's, there's energy there. There's action going there, right? That's not going to stop. Now, in that human life, he didn't have all his abilities yet, right? Remember, he a small child. He did not have all that meditative concentration. But he was eventually able, when he achieved it all, to look back and understand it all. So there was more going on there. But yes, you know, when we look at you and me, for example, inside Mahayana, we're on a Bodhisattva path. We realize it's going to be a long path, or maybe we go to Pure Land. Maybe it's going to be more streamlined that way. But we have to develop those abilities as well. And, you know, even with uh, Theravada becoming an Arhat, you know, that is going to be the same concept insofar as, you know, gaining these uh, abilities. And would you gain all of them? Now, in both of them, we're looking at, you know, it's just Buddha as having like all the different tools, if you will. Whereas maybe a Bodhisattva or an Arhat, probably not going to have them all, you know, but I'm not saying it's not impossible, but like you're not going to have them all, you know, so we're going to have certain tools there, if you will, these abilities. So definitely possible. There's nothing to be going, well, I don't know about that. It's okay. You know, we're not going to understand everything inside Buddhism, but it's something that's really, I think, very fascinating inside the Buddhist religion, something that it's okay for us not to fully understand or comprehend, but it's something that's part of the religion. We can see how it's helped in a lot of different teachings of the Buddha and also you know, other Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, how they use it as well, that it is a wholesome thing. And I think it's a great thing. So you know, I refer to them as like the, the super Buddha, but we also got super Buddhas and super Bodhisattvas, right? Because they have these supernatural, super normal powers, but they're using it for good. They're using it for the wholesome karma. They're trying to help us with these powers to be liberated. They're there for us to get us out of this predicament by helping us understand the Dharma. And these abilities is a crucial part of it. Always employed? No. Uh, when they are employed? Yes. Very powerful, but they are not central to everything. They are part of what we need in certain situations. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, please let me know, and I'll speak with you in our next episode. Thank you.